Good morning. Uh, this meeting will come to order. Welcome to the October 11, 2022 special meeting of the Government Audit and Oversight Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Uh, I'm Supervisor Dean Preston, Chair of the Committee, joined by Vice Chair Connie Chan and Supervisor Hillary Ronan. Uh, our committee clerk today is Stephanie Cabrera, and we want to thank uh, the team at SFGovTV for staffing our, our meeting today. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? Thank you. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment. While still providing remote access and public comment via telephone, the Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99, and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. This number is 415-655-0001, again, 415-655-0001. Then enter the meeting ID 2483-746-1550, then pound and then pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and the public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak and those on the telephone should dial star three to also be added to the speaker line. If you are on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. As already indicated, we will be taking public comment from those attending in person first, then we will go to our public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways, email them to myself, the, the government audit and oversight clerk at stephanie.csncharlesabsinbayrera at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall, 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Finally, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of October 18th, unless otherwise stated. And that concludes. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And before we get to our first and only agenda item, I'd like to make a motion to excuse Supervisor Mandelman, uh, who is unable to join us today. Can you call the roll, please? On the motion to excuse Member Mandelman, Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Member Ronan. Aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. That's three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes, and I want to thank uh, Supervisor Ronan uh, for serving on the committee today. Very much appreciate uh, your time and participation here today. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call item one. Item number one is a hearing on the mayor's policy practice to request or require appointees, nominees, to sign undated resignation letters and any use or threatened use of such letters and requesting the mayor's office to report. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2483-746-1550, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. The system will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Clerk, and um, have some uh, opening remarks, and then, then we will hear uh, from 
the mayor's office, um, and uh, and I should start by thanking again, thanking Supervisor Ronan for not just being here, but also for co-sponsoring uh, the the hearing today, um, and colleagues. What's that? Oh. <laughs> uh, colleagues, uh, let's to start. I, I want to thank uh, the. Uh, and, and recognize the, the courage of uh, Police Commissioner Max Carter-Overstone um, and also the uh, reporting of veteran journalist Michael Barbara, Barba. Um, and thanks to them, uh, we learned that the mayor has been having her uh, nominees to important commissions in San Francisco sign undated resignation letters, uh, letters that the mayor's office uh, holds while commissioners are serving the city. This practice uh, that was kept secret for years is fundamentally inconsistent uh, with city law and specifically our city charter. Uh, while the charter gives the, uh, the mayor the power to appoint certain charter commissioners, once they're appointed, they're protected from unilateral removal by the mayor. Uh, commissioners on bodies like our, our planning commission, uh, police commission, uh, the MTA, and others, once they're appointed, uh, these commissioners do not, I repeat, they do not sit at the pleasure of the mayor, nor do they work for the mayor. Commissioners who are supposed to be providing oversight to the mayor's departments are expected to uh, exercise independent judgment once they are appointed, and the charter lays out very specifically the process for removal of commissioners, which generally requires for most charter commissions a finding of official misconduct uh, and a approval of the Board of Supervisors uh, for, and Ethics Commission for removal. Um, requiring an appointee or a nominee uh, to provide an undated resignation letter at the time of appointment undermines charter protections for commissioners against at-will removal, removal by the appointing authority, here the mayor, uh, and the practice really calls into question and creates appearance of lack of uh, independence of commissioners and, and raises significant concerns about the level of control that the mayor has um, over commissioners. The issue, as I mentioned, came to light when Commissioner Max uh, Carter-Overstone revealed that when seeking mayoral reappointment uh, to the police commission, he was required to sign an undated uh, letter of resignation as a condition of his reappointment. Um, on, uh, on April 26th, uh, Commissioner uh, Carter-Overstone returned the requested signed letter of resignation uh, on May 3rd. Uh, Overstone, uh, Carter Overstone was reappointed to the police commission for a second term. Um, and we subsequently learned that uh, Commissioner Carter Overstone was not the only commissioner to be asked to sign such a letter. And in fact, the mayor's office has obtained undated resignation letters from many other sitting commissioners. As an oversight committee, uh, we are committed to transparency of our government and compliance with the laws of the city, including the city's charter. We called for this hearing to get to the bottom of this. We also issued letters of inquiry to the mayor's office and to every commissioner, um, and as a result, learned that the scope of the practice was significantly broader than originally understood. Since we called for this hearing, the city attorney has also weighed in, um, issuing a public memo 
finding that the use of undated resignation letters for appointees uh, is inconsistent with the charter. The city attorney's memo also warned that the practice, quote, could threaten the independence of appointed officials uh, from undue influence by the mayor, close quote. Uh, we requested the mayor's office to report, uh, also requested some of the mayor, mayor's staff uh, that were in text message exchanges with commissioners uh, to, to be here, as well as Commissioner uh, Max Carter Overstone uh, to be available for questions. My understanding is that the mayor's chief of staff, Sean Ellsburn, is here on behalf of the mayor and on behalf of staff uh, of, the, of the mayor's office. So I wanted to start out uh, by welcoming uh, Mr. Elburn, Ellsburn and, uh, and give you the floor for uh, introductory remarks. Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, I'm here to uh, respond to your questions. Great. Thank you. Um, uh, and, and as mentioned, uh, Commissioner uh, Carter Oberstone is, is, is present as well. So, uh, Colleagues, what, you know, why don't we begin with, with any uh, questions? Um, let, let me just maybe start with an open-ended question for Mr. Ellsburn. Just, I, you've, you've heard my opening remarks. Um, to the extent you think I've mischaracterized anything or uh, misstated anything, wanted to give you an opportunity to, uh, to, to uh, speak to that or present any, any questions. Uh, Clarifications, if you or or not, if you think I've accurately framed the no, situation. No, supervisor. I have nothing more to add. Thank you. Um, so, Mr. Ellsbrandt, whose idea was it to start requiring undated resignation letters from commissioners? Um, this was an idea that came from the mayor and within the mayor's office in discussion um, at the beginning of her tenure as mayor. Thank you. And was it recommended to her by anyone, to your knowledge? Not to my knowledge. And then once the mayor started, uh, decided to require or seek uh, undated resignation letters, how was that um, communicated to uh, others in the mayor's office? Was there some kind of memo, meeting, how, how was that, uh, that decision communicated to others? There was certainly no memo um, discussion amongst staff. And was it ex explained to staff what the purpose of requiring uh, undated resignation letters was? Yes. And what was explained? As the uh, mayor's office responded to you in the letter of inquiry, and as the mayor has said publicly a number of times over the last two weeks, the purpose of these letters of resignation was to address situations similar to that of former port commissioner Mel Murphy. As you may recall, Mel Murphy, as a sitting port commissioner, uh, faced a number of serious ethical charges while he was a commissioner. Then Mayor Lee publicly asked him to resign. Then Port Commissioner Mel Murphy refused that request for a number of months, refused to attend Port Commission meetings in the interim, and as a result, the Port Commission was blocked up for a little while with a smaller number of commissioners. And um, eventually, after uh, months of pressure, Commissioner Murphy resigned. The idea behind these letters was to address such ethical situations. 
So going back to the meeting in which staff was advised of it, that was that explained at that time to staff that that was the purpose of requiring resignation letters? To address such situations, yes. And, and when did that meeting occur? I'm, I don't know the exact date, Supervisor, but this would have been something early in the mayor's tenure. Like within the first six months of her tenure? I don't, uh, could be Supervisor, I don't know. And who was present at that meeting? I don't recall, Supervisor. The mayor's, I mean, mayor's been mayor for over four years. I don't remember that. Was the meeting called for this purpose, or was there just a general staff meeting at which this came up? No, it was not called for this purpose. Uh, did anyone question uh, instituting this practice or requesting these letters? I don't recall. Did you yourself at any time question whether it was a good idea to, uh, to require uh, undated resignation letters from appointees? Supervisor, the mayor gave her a direction and the staff, we implemented her direction. I'm not going to get into the conversations privately between me and the mayor or with staff in the mayor. Well, hey, let me ask it more generally then, as distinct from your conversations, was, did, did anyone push back on the idea of engaging in this practice? As we do with all conversations, as we do with all issues, we had a full and robust discussion. Okay, and maybe a Deputy City Attorney Pearson, you know, I think we're, we're all, all used to some levels of things that may or may not be off limits. Can you, can you, just for purpose of this hearing, explain to us if there's any limit on, uh, you know, in the conversations between mayoral senior staff and the mayor, uh, any, anything that would preclude sharing more detail around, around those discussions? Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson. I think this committee is free to ask the questions it wishes to ask, and those individuals who answer them may are free to answer them as they like, um, and to, if there are things that they feel are inappropriate or privileged, they can say so. This is, it's not a court of law, there are no No, no, un <laughs> understood, so uh, that's what I'm asking. I mean, is there some kind of privilege or reason, like, if you don't answer the question, and, and that's that, but, that's one thing. If you think there's some reason you can't answer it or are prohibited to, uh, that's another. So I'm trying to, and when, I, when I ask if you challenged the decision uh, or, or the directive from the mayor at any point, uh, it's, it's, it's your preference not to speak to that. You don't think there's some kind of prohibition on you doing that, right? As we do with all discussions, we had a robust discussion. Many opinions were shared. The mayor gave her direction. Got it. Did you get advice from the city attorney's office on instituting uh, this requirement? In that regard, I would say there is definitely a privilege in terms of the conversations I've had with the city attorney's office or the mayor's office has had with the city attorney's office. Okay, without getting into what the city attorney's office advised, my question is just whether city attorney advice was obtained once the mayor dis gave this directive uh, to start uh, Sorry, Supervisor, but I think even that question is privileged.
your, uh, the, the responses to the LOI state that no appointee was required to sign uh, a letter of resignation. Can you explain that? No appointee was required to sign a letter of resignation to be confirmed or to be nominated, excuse me. So was it optional for uh, nominees or appointees to sign undated letters of res resignation? Since no nominee was required to, yes, I would say it was optional. Was it explained to nominees that it was optional? I can't speak to every circumstance in which it was explained to every nominee, so I, 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 I can't answer that question. Okay, you've looked over all a lot of documents that were that were produced here. There's been a lot of media coverage as well as uh, the direct documents. Is there any reference in those from the mayor's office, from mayor staff in those communications in writing with nominees that submitting or returning the signed resignation letter was optional? In what I've reviewed, I don't remember seeing the word optional whether the word or not, voluntary, optional. I mean, I've looked through it as well. I, I didn't see, I just want to be clear that I'm not missing something, that to the extent it was optional, that was not communicated in writing to uh, the nominees from whom the mayor's office was seeking undated resignation letters. As I did not see the word optional, I did, also, did not also see the word mandatory or any kind of mandate that this must be done for your nomination to go forward. Do you think a reasonable... Uh, nominee receiving uh, a, a, a written communication that they return an undated resignation letter while they're in the process of, uh, of being nominated and pending approval for a commission that a reasonable nominee would, uh, would assume it was optional? I can't speak to what a nominee would think through. Is there any uh, memo or writing that you're aware of that, um, that lays out the, uh, the, any more details around the practice um, of requiring resignation letters and the mayor's directive on that? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I believe we've disclosed everything that we have. Thank you. And then in terms of the purposes for these, and I understand you've referenced uh, one, the situation of uh, former Commissioner um, Murphy. Um, the response in the LOIs was that the resignations uh, letters were reserved for the most dire situations of inappropriate behavior, incapacitation, or dereliction of duty. Um, does that capture, is that the entire reason resignation letters were requested from some nominees or commissioners? Uh, there was one other situation uh, to cite uh, that I think the second piece of your response. We did have a uh, nominee or a commissioner on a citizens advisory committee that went absent after numerous calls, after actually a well-being check at her residence. No one could find the individual. And so there was that rationale as well, that if someone went completely AWOL, we would want to have, a, have something available to remove the commissioner. And that would fall within the, basically the dereliction of duty sure. idea. Um, is there 
a reason that letters were requested from some nominees but not others? No. And our understanding from the presentation from uh, Mr. Paulino on behalf of the mayor's office at the Board of Supervisors, the last Board of Supervisors meeting, is that the decision on whether to require uh, an a undated resignation letter from uh, a nominee was a decision made by the mayor um, at her discretion on a case-by-case -case basis. Is that accurate? Correct. Yes. Thank you. Why did the resignation letters not state the reasons? You know, the, the response of the LOI state that the purposes of them were for inappropriate behavior, incapacitation, or dereliction of duty. Why wasn't that in the resignation letter? And, and just to be clear, the resignation letter is very open-ended, right? It's just a straight up, I resign my position effective immediately, undated. Not being able to predict why such a letter might potentially be used, I think, would be the reason, and that's why it was left open-ended. So it wouldn't preclude being used in the case of a policy disagreement between the mayor and the commissioner? That was never, ever the intention of the mayor's office to use it for that reason. Who drafted the resignation letters that were then sent to commissioners? I don't know. They, I mean, they, there's kind of been a model that was used in many of these that would have started a number of years ago. I don't know. Was there concern that uh, using these uh, resignation letters uh, could create uh, legal risks for the city? No. Doesn't the charter already provide for a method for removing commissioners who engage in the type of conduct you've described, the dereliction of duty, uh, incapacitation? Uh, isn't, isn't there already a charter process for removing commissioners when that occurs? As we saw with Commissioner Murphy, that process was not efficient. And that process was not used and was not effective. Well, that process was not used with Mr. Murphy, correct? No. Right. His resignation was requested, and then he didn't tender it right. initially. And it took months for him to eventually resign. Right. But, but the mayor could, if a commissioner doesn't show up or goes AWOL, the mayor could simply... Uh, commence removal proceedings under the charter, right? And it would go before ethics and then the board. Good, and as you recall with then Sheriff Mercurimi, that process took approximately seven to nine months. Right, in a, in a intensely contested situation that's very different from what you're describing was the purpose of these, which was for the, the person who doesn't, who goes AWOL or is in dereliction of duty. Could be. So the purpose of the letters then was to remove commissioners or have the option to remove commissioners without having to go through the charter process for removal. Is that correct? Correct. You agree that that undermines the protections of the charter that are designed to, to protect commissioners from uh, unilateral removal? That is definitely the city attorney's opinion, yes. Is it yours as well? The mayor has recognized that that's the city attorney's opinion, and that is why the mayor has ended the practice. Of the hundreds of appointed commissioners, 
from the, the information that you provided in response to the letter of inquiry, it appears that 48 uh, were required to, to sign. Does that include the one last one that we gave you on Friday? Uh, good question. Good I'm question. Sorry, I believe it does. We did find out one last one on Friday. Thank you. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, can you shed any light on the, I mean, I think the total is about 400 appointed commissioners when you include everything. So, uh, right. right. So we're looking at just over 10% uh, of them required to sign these. Um, can you shed any light beyond saying that it was the mayor's discretion on a case-by-case -case basis as to why a certain commissioner was required to sign uh, and another was not? No, the mayor clearly had a subjective standard here. Sometimes she directed it, sometimes she did not. And I understand you don't want to get into your conversations with the mayor, but I, I do want to know if, if you know what those reasons are for choosing them in one case and another, if those have been shared with you and you just don't feel at liberty to, to share them with us, or whether you, as you stand here today, truly do not know why one commissioner is required to sign a, a resignation letter and the other is not. I cannot speak to the mayor's thought process and her direction on that, no. So we have, we have some commissioners where same commission appointments to the same commission, right? We most recently had that with, uh, with the planning commission, but there are other instances of this where on the same body, mayoral appointments, some required to sign and not others, and you can't provide any insight as to why that's the case today. No. Supervisor Ronan, I know you're on the roster. I did want to invite up uh, Commissioner Carter Overstone, but if you'd like to, do you want yeah. to ask some questions first? Sure. I mean, you've asked most of my questions, but um, I'm, I'm just wondering, has there ever been an instance where an appointee has refused to sign? Not that I'm aware of. And has appointee, have appointees asked questions why they're required to sign this in order to be appointed? And what are they told, if so? I, I would assume there have been. I know, for example, Commissioner Carter Herberstone asked questions, and uh, what he and others were told was the Commissioner Murphy example, that that was the purpose of why it was needed. And, you know, in reading these, it's just, I mean, I can imagine being asked to sign one of these letters, and it's, you, you have to act as if you've been doing the job, right? Like, so the letters say, it's been a pleasure serving the residents, but when you haven't yet served the residents, um, it's just such an odd, odd thing to be asked to do. Um, it's, it, it's, it's basically insincere. So they're, they're asked to write and sign a letter about something they haven't yet done. Um, and I, that just striked, it just struck me to read, to read this. And it just seems, it seems odd to me that there wasn't, that this hasn't been brought up earlier, that, that there wasn't more just discussion. I mean, for example, I'm just going to read, I, I just pulled up a random one. Um, I, it, so it's undated. I submit this letter of resignation from my position on the MTA uh, Municipal Transportation Agency Board MTA Commission effective immediately. It has been an honor and pleasure to serve the residents of San Francisco through my participation on the MTA Commission. 
Thank you for your leadership. Should you have any questions or seek further discussion, please reach out. Sincerely, Gloria Lee. I, it, I mean, I, to ask someone to sign something that's false because they haven't yet done anything, they haven't yet served the, the city of San Francisco, um, it's just such an odd thing to ask someone. And I, so I can't imagine, I mean, I would have, if, if someone asked me to sign a, an undated resignation letter that in, in essence asks me to, to lie because they're, I have to say I'm done something that I haven't yet done, I can't imagine that you haven't gotten a lot of pushback. It, 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 it's just such an odd thing to do. Um, so I, I, you know, can you describe what, what, what conversations are like when commissioners express skepticism? Having not been a part of any of those conversations directly, uh, no, but I would assume the commissioners understood that uh, when staff described the potential use of them only in the extreme circumstances, any feelings of concern were uh, mitigated. Now, n not often, but there are times, like in the case of Mr. Oberston, that um, commissioners disagree with the mayor on certain issues. Um, during any of those times, did the mayor ever, or, or any of her staff, ever bring up the undated resignation letter with any commissioner? Not that I am aware of, no. That was certainly never the intent, so no. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, and then again, I just wanted to confirm with the city attorney, you know, I understand the, the reasons that the, the mayor brings up for why she had commissioners sign these letters, but there is a process for every appointee who commits malfeasance or you know, does not fulfill their duties to remove that person from their position, clearly laid out in the charter. Is that correct? That is correct. And in our public memorandum, we describe the various ways that commissioners can be removed. OK. Um, and then um, so the, the reason you decided to discontinue this process is because the city attorney's memo um, uh, suggests that this process is, is uh, violating the charter. Suggest that the letters are unenforceable and that requesting them is violates the spirit of the charter. Yes If that wasn't the city attorney's position would you continue using these letters? It's asking a hypothetical that I'd have to ask the mayor okay. No more questions Thank you supervisor Ronan um, Let me one thing that I'm Curious about is do you do you recognize as as the mayor's chief of staff that um, the problem with having what I think can fairly be described as a very subjective approach as to when these letters are required or not right like regardless of the intent it it it, it certainly feeds a public perception and probably a perception among commissioners probably a perception among people who appear in front of commissioners. Um, that it seems like there was no, other than the mayor's 
exercise of unilateral discretion. There was no real policy or approach that anyone is aware of other than the mayor as to why, as to why certain people were required to, to provide these. Like, do, do, you, do you agree that that kind of subjective approach on something like this um, opens that process up for abuse and creates uh, uh, additional concerns by the lack of transparency and objectivity uh, in that choice? Um, I would not agree that it creates an opportunity for abuse because knowing this mayor and why this was done, it was never going to be abused. That said, I would agree with you that it does create that perception that it could be, but factually it never was and it never would be. I guess what I'm not understanding, if, if the concern is that someone's going to, you know, the dereliction of duty, for example, as you describe, or someone goes AWOL, um, does that not, concern not apply with respect to every commissioner? Again, this gets to the mayor's subjective decision as to when it applied and when it didn't. And so is it your assumption that she is exercising that discretion based on her assessment of the likelihood of those criteria of dereliction of duty, uh, inappropriate behavior, the other things you've laid Again, out? Again, Supervisor, you're asking me to get into the mayor's head and figure out what is the calculus, and I, that's not something I'm capable of doing. Well, but you're representing that it does not open up the possibility of abuse and how that discretion is exercised. Because she but made clear repeatedly that it would never be used for, to Supervisor Ronan's question about a policy point or anything like that. It would only be used in the case of an ethical malfeasance. Thank you, Mr. Ellsburn. Please uh, stick around. I would like to uh, invite up uh, Commissioner uh, Carter Overstone for some questions. Um, uh, Commissioner, come on up. Welcome and, and Thank you for your service on the commission um, and for, um, for being here today. Um, I, I guess first just um, wanted to invite you if there's any information um, that you'd like to share with the committee and the public about the uh, resignation letters, including anything in response to what you've heard either from uh, committee members or from Mr. Ellsburn um, so far today. Sure, thank you, um, first of all. Uh, Chair Preston, Vice Chair Chan, and Supervisor Ronan, uh, committee staff and members of the public, thank you for um, the invitation to appear before the committee today. Um, if, if it would please this body, I would just like to give a bit of context about why I think we are where we are, um, and, and it might be to some extent responsive to Mr. Ellsburn's comments. Um, so when, when I was sworn in as a San Francisco police commissioner, I took an oath of office. It is by my count the seventh time I've taken such an oath for various positions I've held with the federal, state, and now local government. While the precise formulation of each of these oaths varies slightly, they all include an admonition to defend the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. These words are by design broad and capacious, it is left to the taker of the oath to interpret how to apply them in any given circumstance. 
Luckily, I've been able to complete my years of government service without ever being faced with this interpretive challenge. Until recently, that is. The mayor's decision to require me to sign an undated letter of resignation as a precondition to my renomination was a direct affront to the San Francisco Charter, which is, after all, our city's constitution. Nearly a decade ago, the people of this city amended the charter for two distinct but related reasons. First, to curtail the mayor's control over the police commission, and second, to grant greater autonomy and independence to mayoral appointees to the commission. In service of these twin goals, the people gave the Board of Supervisors the power to appoint three out of seven commissioners, the power to confirm any mayoral nominee to the commission, and most importantly, for today's purposes, the power to approve or reject the mayor's decision to remove a mayoral appointee from the commission. The letter of resignation that I was directed to sign, which gave the mayor carte blanche to unilaterally remove me for any reason, can only be understood as an end run around this charter provision. It was designed to override the board's role in the removal process, to shield the mayor from having to take public accountability for removing a commissioner, and to dampen the very independence that the people meant to confer on police commissioners when they amended the charter. That is why on August 1st, I rescinded my offer of resignation, believing that my oath of office left me no other choice. I knew that this decision would not be well received by the mayor's office. I knew that there could be serious consequences. And indeed, as many of us have read in the papers, the mayor has often opted to attack me personally rather than to defend the substance of her conduct. It hasn't always been comfortable to be publicly hated by a person in a position of immense power. But the oath that I took to defend the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic, did not come with any exceptions. It did not permit the consideration of countervailing factors, such as the effect it might have on my family or my peace of mind. In the end, I chose, and will always choose, to remain faithful to that oath and to the people of this city that it was meant to protect. So thank you for indulging those opening remarks, and I would welcome any follow-up questions from the committee. Thank you, Commissioner, for, uh, for your comments. Um, I wanted to ask you more specifically about your the first time you were appointed and then your reappointment. So can you just clarify when you, when you first were nominated and appointed, were you asked or required to sign an uh, undated resignation letter? Did that come up at all? Uh, and then when you were reappointed, um, well, why don't we start with that? When you were first appointed, were you were, was there any discussion of a, signing such a letter? No, there was not. So no email to you asking, I believe it was Tyra Fennell, Fennell at the mayor's office who, who was, is, in, is the person who communicates these on behalf of the mayor's office to other commissioners and later to you. You didn't receive a request, a reference, a phone call asking you to sign that or any, it, it didn't come up at all in your first appointment? 
That's correct. To my recollection, no person, no, no staffer from the mayor's office ever raised this uh, issue of uh, signing an undated resignation letter the first time I was nominated. And then when you're up for reappointment, you've stated that a resignation letter was required of you. So can you, can you explain that? You've heard some of the back and forth I had with uh, Mr. Ellsburn around whether um, letters were or were not required, what a commissioner may have believed in terms of whether they had, uh, had to sign that or did not to be reappointed. Can you comment on your experience and why you believe you, uh, this was a requirement of you? Sure. So on April 25th, I had a meeting with two senior staffers in the mayor's office where it was communicated to me for the first time that I would be renominated to the police commission. My term was expiring five days later. Um, as part of that conversation, they also said that as, as part of that renomination, I would need to sign an undated letter of resignation. Um, I was caught off guard by the request, again, because as we discussed, I didn't have to sign one the first time. And uh, also, as I've said before, um, you know, I, I had really serious misgivings about the ethics and legality of requiring uh, me to sign such a letter. So I did, you know, to Supervisor Ronan's questions, you know, I did ask a lot of questions and, um, you know, I asked, you know, why, why are we doing this? And um, the example was that, that was given was, um, I believe, um, the Angus McCarthy affair where there was um, some, some ethical issues around a commissioner, and, um, you know, that it was a big encumbrance to, to remove someone in those situations. Um, but I, I was also told that it's something that all commissioners, all charter commissioners sign. And I was told in, in particular that Commissioner Yee on the police commission would also be signing one as we had the same renomination date. Um, as we all know now, those latter two things are not the case. Um, but I was left with the overwhelming sense that this was a requirement. But any doubt about whether it was a requirement or not was resolved the following day, where I reached out to Ms. Fennell to ask um, whether we were still on track to submit my nomination that day, April 26, um, because I was just getting nervous because my term expired April 30th. Um, and she replied back to me that you haven't responded to my email yet, referring to her email from the prior day she had sent me with the, the, the letter of resignation that I had yet to sign. Um, I then picked up the phone to call Ms. Fennell because, you know, frankly, I was concerned that if I handed over the letter before the process was, the renomination process was officially initiated, that my letter could be accepted before that and made to look like I somehow took my name out of consideration. And so I was very sensitive to the precise timing. Um, Ms. Fennell and I had a kind of back and forth negotiation and where we ultimately landed was she agreed to um, take the initial process in submitting my renomination papers to the board so long as I gave her my you know, word of honor that I would immediately thereafter return the letter, um, which I did. Thank you for that, that clarification. Um, the, you know, clearly from your public statements and, um, and the coverage is 
clearly the, the mayor, at least as communicated through staff, was uh, displeased with uh, your approach to uh, on the issue around um, eliminating or regulating pretext stops. Um, I, can, can you describe what pressure was put on you to, um, to change your approach and how, if at all, the resignation letter being in the mayor's uh, office possession factored into uh, that, that pressure? Sure. Maybe I'll just give one global statement and then I can give an example or two, however many the committee wants to hear. But I do want to make clear in, in fairness um, to the position the mayor's office has adopted, there was never a moment where you know somebody pulled my resignation letter out of the drawer and waved it in front of me and said, hey, if you don't listen to what we want, we're going to sign this. Um, that never happened. Um, but of course, that's not how these things work. Um, the, the fact that everybody knows that this resignation letter is just floating in the ether, that it can be accepted at any moment with no notice and immediately terminate um, your tenure on the commission is, you know, a, a, a consideration that's at the forefront, at least of my mind, when I'm receiving uh, direction from the mayor's office about what they want to see. Um, so in regards to specifics, um, maybe I can give, I'll give one, I can give a couple examples. Maybe I'll just give one example and stop for questions. And if the committee wants to hear more, I'm happy to discuss more. But um, maybe I'll start with one example that's already been made public through Public Records Act request and reporting by Michael Barba, um, which is um, a series of interactions I had on August 1st with Andres Power, the mayor's uh, director of policy. Um, so I think maybe just providing a little bit of context to the conversation might be helpful. So uh, this happened on August 1st. Um, the pretext policy had been publicly introduced before the commission on May 11th. And um, the commission had always planned to have a very robust community outreach and public outreach program. Um, in fact, our goal, as we stated at the outset, was to make it the most publicly transparent DGO revision process that had ever taken place. And I think we're making good on that. Um, the mayor's office um, you know, interceded and uh, wanted to have the Human Rights Commission run the community outreach process, which I think I and others all welcomed given their um, experience in this area, their expertise, and they have substantially more resources than us to do that. But part of what the mayor's office also wanted is that they didn't want any working group meetings to start before the entire community outreach process had completed. And they kind of wanted an open-ended community outreach process with no firm end date. Um, and for members of the public, uh, working groups are um, groups of 10 to 20 subject matter experts that meet in a series of meetings to go over kind of the nuts and bolts and are in the weeds of the policy. Um, and they assist the commission in drafting the policy and pr providing recommendations for the commission to consider. Um, so 
you know, I was concerned that this would, was an effort to delay and potentially derail the DGO revision process. While, while we all welcomed um, the robust, robust community outreach portion, we'd always plan to do that. We, we thought that having no timelines was not the best way to go about it. So in a series of meetings, uh, the commission, the department leadership, HRC, the Human Rights Commission, and DPA, the Department of Police C Accountability, we, we had a series of meetings and we finally reached a compromise. And the compromise was we would have two working group meetings in um, August. We would pause working groups for the month of September so that HRC could do a month-long community outreach program. And then we would uh, pick up the working group again in October. So August 1st was the day before the first working group meeting that was set to take place. Um, Andres called me that day and said, listen, this is what I need you to do. I need you to, at the outset of the working group tomorrow, give an impassioned speech to call into question the uh, legitimacy of the working group, to say that it's um, essentially uh, running, running roughshod over the community, not sufficiently respectful of the community, that we shouldn't be having them at all, um, and basically attempt to get folks to abandon the working group. And that if I wasn't able uh, to single-handedly accomplish this through my speech, that I should, quote, seriously consider boycotting the working group. Um, I, to say the least, was extremely caught off guard by this 11th hour um, outreach, you know, given that we had reached this compromise with all the relevant stakeholders. Um, and I recall making a couple of points for why I didn't think this was a great idea. And I ultimately hung up the phone without making any commitment. Um, I thereafter texted Andres to ask if we could, he had time to chat about this later, because, uh, you know, I had kind of been caught off guard and forgot to make, I think, certain key points about why I didn't think it made sense. We eventually spoke early that evening where I, I did that, and uh, none of my uh, reasoning was persuasive um, to Mr. Power. And, um, you know, I, I told him I just didn't know if I could could do that. Um, and I want to be careful and accurate here. I, I can say with about 80% confidence that he said that there would be serious consequences if I wasn't able to follow through on it. I'm 100% certain he said something to that effect. Um, so I, I hung up the phone again without making any commitment and saying I would get back to him. Um, and as has been reported and publicized in the PRA re records, I um, thereafter submitted my letter rescinding my offer of resignation and then a few minutes later texted Andres explaining that I wouldn't be able to give the speech he asked me to give. And really the reason I thought I couldn't do it is because I thought it was really fundamentally dishonest and um, cynical, frankly, to use the community and scare quotes as a reason to delay or de derail a policy um, without having to take accountability for opposing that policy. Um, and that's just something I, I wasn't comfortable doing. Thank you, uh, 
Commissioner, and, and um, I, I had uh, one more question for Mr. Uh, Ellsburn, um, and, then, and then I do want to get us to public comment, um, and, and my colleagues may have questions as well. I see, uh, Supervisor Rohn, do you have a question for the Commissioner? Yes, Great. yes. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Thank you for, for being here and for um, putting yourself in this really public, uncomfortable position that takes a lot of courage. Uh, it takes a lot of um, uh, valor, quite frankly, and, and, and integrity. So thank you for that. Um, a couple things. How, just Let's just back up, because I think so much of the public don't understand the hard work of being a commissioner, especially on important commissions like the police commission um, uh, that commissioners do. And so I, I, about how many hours a week do you spend working on uh, your, in, your, in, in your role as a police commissioner? It, it varies dramatically. Um, I've been working really hard on this pretext policy for many months now. Um, so you know, some, uh, some weeks I spend as little as four or five hours. Some weeks I spend as much as 20 hours. Um, so it really depends on what's required in any given week. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a big range, but um, I, I've been working more towards the higher end of that range lately, given the, this policy is advancing. Mm -hmm. and, do you, and do police commissioners get any remuneration for their service? You know, I was delighted to discover we do get paid after I started working. We, we get $100 a month. $100 a month. Okay, so for, you know, anywhere from four to... 20 hours a week, you get $100 a month. Um, and when, so when you were first asked to sign the letter and, and, and you were given the example or the explanation of what happened in the case of Commissioner McCarthy, Angus McCarthy, can you, do you remember exactly what they said about that? Because um, I, my memory, and I don't know if anybody else has a memory, is his term just expired and he um, wasn't renominated. So I'm just wondering why, why that example was used and how it was used. Um, to my recollection, it was just used as, as an example where someone had engaged in gross malfeasance and it was in incredibly difficult to remove that commissioner. Um, there, there wasn't a ton of specifics in terms of the nuts and bolts of what actually happened. And at the time it was raised, I wasn't familiar with it. And so I, I, I didn't, uh, you know, question the particular facts of that case. Um, th there was a statement made that, um, that it's also just unclear whether the charter permits uh, or what, you know, how to, you know, remove a, a commissioner. Um, that, that, that was something else that there was just uncertainty around how to remove a charter commissioner at all. And so the letter was required to um, resolve any ambiguity around that removal process. Um, but, but otherwise, I don't recall much else about the discussion about um, Commissioner McCarthy. I just think it was a strange example because I, I was one of the supervisors calling for an investigation of um, Mr. McCarthy, and that was on 
going and I'm, I, I'm not sure of the timing. I, I looked back on, on, in articles and it was about September of 2021 um, that I asked for the, the investigation. Um, I, my memory is not the greatest, so I can't remember the outcome of it. But, but what I do remember is I, I, I doubt that, I don't think the mayor's office, and maybe I'll ask um, okay, I, I, I will ask, if I could finish my questions, and then I, I, I will ask um, uh, Sean Ellsburn this question. He can refresh all of our memories on what happened there, but it, it, it just seemed like a, a strange one to me. Um, so you talked a lot about the, um, the conversations that you had regarding the pretext uh, stopped and weather and, you know, the timing of uh, public engagement and and what you were asked to do and sort of the threats, the threat made if you didn't do that. Um, can we talk for a moment about um, what happened around the presidency vote for the commission? Were you, were you specifically asked by the mayor's office to support Commissioner Lee for the presidency? I was not specifically asked to support Commissioner Yi, to my recollection. Um, there was a conversation maybe months before the vote um, that I had with senior staff uh, where his name was floated as a potential uh, mayoral you know, pick, per her preferred candidate. Um, and there was a conversation about an unrelated, unrelated subjects, I believe, in a few weeks before the vote. Um, and at the end of the conversation, the last thing a staffer said was, we'll, we'll talk next time about the leadership vote. Um, but uh, I didn't discover that Commissioner Yee was in fact the mayor's pick until the day of the vote. And, and how did you discover that, and how was that communicated to you that it was her pick? I received a phone call in the afternoon on the day of the, the vote, um, checking in with me about the vote, and um, that's when it was disclosed that to me um, as a certainty that Commissioner Yee was the mayor's pick. And on that day, were you asked to support Commissioner Yee? I was never explicitly asked. It was imp implicit and... You know, um, I think that there was a level of concern expressed from the staffer about not knowing what I would ultimately do. Um, but that staffer never explicitly asked me to, uh, nor did they ask who I planned to vote on, and, um, and I, I didn't say at that time. And um, why did you choose to support President Cindy Elias? Because Commissioner Elias is far and away the most qualified commissioner to serve as president. Um, she's got twice as many years on the commission as the next most tenured person. She understands um, how the commission works on a granular level uh, the way uh, no one else does. And you know, I've worked with her very closely now for almost a year. Her work ethic is really unparalleled. I mean, I, I, I feel like I work a lot, and um, I just don't think there's anyone that works as hard as she does. 
Um, and she's just got a lot of integrity and we don't necessarily agree on everything, but I can always trust that she'll exercise her independent judgment in a way that she feels effectuates the public interest. And after you voted for uh, President Cindy Elias, were, were, you, um, were, were you called by anyone in the mayor's office and criticized? I know you were, you were called a liar by the mayor in, in, in the press, but any other direct communication? Um, I did call the mayor's office before the meeting to inform them that I was going to, going to vote for Commissioner Elias. Um, about 30 minutes before the meeting started. And and was there, what was the response, if any? Well, I think um, the response was one of surprise, um, one of being um, very displeased. Um, a lot of this has been reported, but I, I would say that people were not happy. And how was the displeasure communicated? Um, well, there is just, you know, I, I re originally spoke with Ms. Fennell and she just was, was very exercised and was just very surprised and couldn't, you know, believe that I was gonna vote for a board appointee as president. Um, she then handed her phone to Mr. Ellsburn who um, you know, was 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 quite upset, and as has now been reported in the press, was reminded me of a conversation I'd had with the mayor in, in April, where I said that I would work with the mayor, you know, if she needed to make a leadership change at the department, and that now that would no longer be possible. Um, you know, if, if if I were to vote for Commissioner Elias, and um, you know that I was essentially reneging on on my promise, um, and. After I spoke with Mr. Ellsburn, I also received a call from Mayor Breed um, where she reiterated that point and you know, reiterated that this would make it incredibly difficult for her to kind of effectuate her policy goals and um, focused very much on the leadership change at SFPD and you know, asked me to, to ask me explicitly not to not to vote for uh, Commissioner Elias. Um, and at any point, did you explain, you know, what you just explained to us on why you chose, why you were choosing to vote for Commissioner Elias? I did, I did explain. And I did, one other point that I made in addition was that um, I feel really strongly about the pretext policy I'm working on. Um, it's a policy that will essentially de-emphasize stops for low-level low traffic stops that the data show don't produce public safety benefit but do have very big racial disparities and will allow police to um, shift those resources to all the great work they're already doing that we know for a fact stops and prevents crime. To me, that feels like a win-win for everyone. Um, but to that point, I felt as though the department and the mayor's office had been working really hard to um, derail that policy and the president of the commission has extraordinary unilateral power um, and if if the commission president were to be um, insufficiently independent from SFPD or the mayor 
um, they could unilaterally um, kill the policy. And that was another reason why I gave. Um, when Mr. Power told you when, you, when you said that you would not make this impassioned speech to try to derail the work group process around the pretext stops, and Mr. Power said that there would be serious consequences, what did you think those serious consequences would be? Sure, just a friendly amendment. I, I didn't tell him over the phone. I t at the end of the phone call, I just said I would need to think about it, and then I texted him later that I wouldn't Got be it. able to do it. Um, but when he, when he um, said there might be serious consequences, there would be serious consequences or some equivalent of that statement, because again, I'm not 100% sure those were his exact words, um, the first thing that came to mind was the resignation letter, because I just don't know what other um, serious consequences uh, he could be referring to. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess the last um, the last question I have for now is given everything you're dealing with here uh, you're you know a, an accomplished respected attorney in the community um, you are doing this job basically as a volunteer aside from the hundred dollars a month you get um and you have been you know placed in sort of a very uncomfortable position um i'm wondering why you're choosing to fight and continue to serve as a commissioner on the police commission Well, um, I grew up in this city, and um, I, I care deeply about it, and I, I care deeply about the residents of this city. That's why, um, you know, that, that's why I wanted to serve in the first instance. And uh, all of these, um, you know, all of this unfortunate intervening situation um, is not going to derail me from doing the, the good work that I was nominated to do. Um, right now, we are conducting thousands upon thousands of traffic stops that aren't making anyone safer, but they are rounding up a lot of innocent people and disproportionately black people and subjecting them to unnecessary indignity and humiliation and making it clear to them that they are being singled out for disfavored treatment on account of their race. Um, you know, I'm all of a sudden thrust in a position where, you know, I can do something about that. And so I think that it's incumbent on me to use whatever power I have um, to ameliorate that situation and do it in a way that, by the way, will make all San Franciscans safer, regardless of race or any other background. Thank you for that. Um, just really appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan. Um, I know we're going to want to hear uh, more from Mr. Ellisburn, but I'd like to go to public comment first. Um, and um, given uh, the 
the need to maintain quorum and some afternoon commitments uh, would like to limit public comment to, uh, to 90 seconds uh, for each caller. Madam Clerk, please open public comment on this item. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item number one? Seeing no members of the public, for those on the line, please dial star three to be added to the queue. There are currently five callers with three in the queue. Please forward the first caller. So supervisors, I do attend virtually the San Francisco Police Commission meetings. I support Cindy Elias and Mr. Max Overstone. I do not support Larry Yee. I don't see any leadership qualities in that candidate at all. He's a lackey just taking instructions, following like a sheep. Now, you have the executive branch, you have the legislative branch. It is time for the legislative branch to change how appointments are done. Maybe the mayor should have three appointees and the board of supervisors four. That's the way to do it. Don't have these meetings where I go in circles and talk around the mulberry bush and nothing happens. Find a solution. The mayor should have three appointments, maybe two, and the board of supervisors five. That will send I a message for interrupting the call that we don't want this dictatorial type of... Thank you for your comments. Next caller, please. Good morning, supervisors. This is Mr. Dennis Williams, sub-chair of the Fillmore Merchants Collaborative. And I just want to um, say the, the city government should not be fearful to do their jobs um, for outing corruption publicly. This is egregious conduct displayed by the mayor and those uh, supporting this. Uh, the public demands justice. This is a form of bullying, as you guys know, a scare tactic and calling the employee, city employee a liar publicly is not the conduct of a mayor of the fourth wealthiest city in the, world, in the world. The mayor's childhood buildings, Plaza East, are deemed uninhabitable by DBI, and the mayor and our nonprofit support all are supporting the developers uh, in the redevelopment of the same building. How is that possible? 400 million allotted to, as the Chronicle says, slumlord developers, highly supported by the mayor and others. Um, I am being excluded similarly as a micro real estate developing company in San Francisco who's trying to partner on this very project, but through my advocation for the community and the city at large are being excluded. I vote um, publicly, I'm saying, excuse me, for recall of Mayor London Breed and uh, um, oversight committees to all the nonprofits that support her and um, any corporations that are um, supporting her also. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Mr. Williams. Next caller, please. 
Good morning. This is Tab Buckner, and thank you, Supervisors Preston, Chan, and Ronan, for this important hearing. Um, the San Francisco Charter clearly states that commissioners, once appointed, are independent from the person or people who appoint them. There are clear provisions in the Charter that lay out a process of commissioners' removal in the wake of abuse or when not fulfilling one's duties. Selective designation of some commissioners to sign resignation letters while others are not requested to do so indicates inconsistency and bias. Uh, publicly or privately pressuring commissioners to take certain positions after they're appointed is also a charter violation. Whether or not the practice has been discontinued, there has clearly been abusive and unethical actions by the mayor's office in implementing undated commission resignation letters. My hope is the findings of today's hearings will lead to an inquiry by the San Francisco Ethics Commission considering the gravity of the mentioned practices. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, please. Good evening, or good afternoon, or good morning, supervisors. Uh, my name is Kevin Ortiz. I am uh, calling in today, um, you know, in great disappointment with the current practices that have happened with uh, these undated resignation letters. It's a clear um, violation of the city charter. Um, you know, there's been many things that were said in this hearing today about particularly, you know, that these letters were not to be used in a policy disagreement, but rather for malfeasance. Um, but there's been many an instance where um, Commissioner uh, Carter Oberstrom uh, literally talked about how, um, you know, he was targeted for uh, disagreeing with the appointment of uh, or the election of a uh, city uh, police commissioner um, uh, president uh, with um, President Elias. So. I think, you know, we also need to look at particularly uh, these were used and they were weaponized within the city, um, you know, within the city family, so to speak, um, as a way of really bullying commissioners uh, to, you know, silence them. And they were not free. They were not independent. Um, I'd like to also remind the, the supervisors that there is an oath of office that every commissioner takes um, that they will solemnly support and defend the Constitution of the United States um, and that they will bear uh, true faith and allegiance to the same and that they take the obligation freely without any mental reservation of purpose of evasion. Uh, these letters clearly show that they did take um, their ob obligation with purpose of potential evasion, and they did not take it freely. They did not make this independent in this. So I think, you know, clearly we also need to look at all the different appointees. that um, time has lapsed. Thank you for your comments. There are currently 10 callers in the queue with five waiting to call. Please pass the next caller. Hello there. My name is Amy Farrell-Weiss, and... I've been paying attention to this issue and I was engaging with some folks about it on Twitter and someone was defending the mayor saying, well, doesn't it make sense that the mayor has this power and is able to exercise it in order to get things done and, you know, rather than have this back and forth. And I think the issue with that has been described here today in detail is that, you know, Tad Buckner was saying it's in the charter that the mayor specifically is not supposed to tamper with the police commission with her power. And she knows that, and everyone who works for her knows that. So she's willingly going against the charter to do something to mess with that power structure. But for what reason? Around pretextual stops? This is an African-American mayor who says she stands up for the African-American community, 
And this seems like it's like knifing Felicia Jones in the back or something because are you serious? She's going to use, she's going to abuse her power for that to actually try to stop this racial bias and get the cops to actually focus on dangerous safety issues on the street. My goodness, London breed, explain yourself. This isn't right. Thank you for holding this hearing. Thank you to the bravery of the people on the commission and the mayor knows better. So do her staff. So this really is an issue. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. There are currently 10 callers on the line, five in the queue. Please forward the next caller. Um, good morning. Thank you very much for holding this hearing and also to the commissioner for his bravery and his own ethics. Um, I want to just really, it, it brings, and my name is Erica Zweig, resident of the city. Um, I um, want to, uh, it makes me think, I wonder where else or if elsewhere um, appointees of the mayor or even higher managerial hires of the mayor are signing these types of letters. And if that's an important um, issue to uh, look into. But I think about the redistricting task force and the mayor's appointees this year, which I was quite involved in, and it was a, uh, it was just an absolute mess with many talks about how the mayor was controlling um, her appointees. Um, and I wonder if, they, if those uh, appointees uh, had signed that letter. I think that that would be important information, maybe not at this committee meeting. So thank you for all your work. Bye-bye. Thank you for your comments. There are currently nine callers in the queue with three waiting to speak. Please forward the next caller. Yes, hello. My name is Lisa Aubrey, and I am a longtime resident of San Francisco. I have to say this is a very, very big deal, and it's really disturbing what we are finding. Thank you for holding this very important hearing, and I commend um, the young commissioner for his courage and for his valor. Um, I just, I'm, I'm deeply concerned. I believe that reforms need to be made, and I, I find that the mayor's representative is a little cavalier and unresponsive under the questioning. And quite frankly, public servants and elected officials, especially ones who have as much power as our mayor does because of our city charter, are to be held accountable for their decisions. But this, this is a very different thing. This really, she tried to circumvent and, and there is no answering for what happened, which is really not um, satisfying. It's, it's, not, it's not correct. Think about this. These appointees by the mayor, not just this mayor, but all mayors of San Francisco, they are on the rent board. They are on the planning commission. They are on the, the SFMPA. They touch all of our lives every comments. single day. Their decision-making has lapsed. I apologize for the interruption. Your time has lapsed. Please forward the next caller. Hi.
Hi, my name is Michelle Kong. I am a longtime resident in the city. Thank you to the committee for hosting this hearing. I think it's very important to analyze the ethics within our city government. It is disgusting how this practice has been used to pressure our commissioners who are supposed to represent our public interests, not the mayor's. And I would like to, for this committee to look and see how long this practice has been held with previous mayors, because I don't believe that this originated with Mayor Breed. I think this practice has gone on for a very long time with previous mayors. And I think we need to look back at how this practice has put a stranglehold towards the progress for us, because I don't believe that every decision that has been made has been for our public interest. I think that needs to be corrected. And I think the mayor needs to see serious consequences, as she would say to her commissioners, serious consequences to her actions. I thank you very much for your time today, and I look forward to your continual work on this issue. Thank you for your comments. There are eight callers with one in the queue. Please forward the caller. Um, good morning, Supervisors. My name is Jupiter Peraza. I am a longtime San Francisco resident. Um, I would like to thank this committee for this really important um, hearing. And I just wanted to say that this issue matter on undating, undated resignation letters is very troubling concerning, um, considering that the mayor's appointments extend beyond city commissioners, with her most notable non-commission appointments being the District 6 Supervisor and the district attorney, I fear, like many other San Franciscans do, that the mayor's influence over these two posts creates an issue of independent thought. Although the practice of undated letters has only been connected to city commissioners, one cannot help but wonder whether the appointments to be six supervisor and the district attorney are compromised to fulfill the mayor's agenda. We've reached a tipping point in which the people of San Francisco want to have trust and reliance on the city However, with such practices, it is unfair and almost impossible to ask San Franciscans for trust in city government. This hearing is incredibly important. I cannot help but think of the divisive, exhausting, and frustrating redistricting process in which several members of the task force, primarily the chair of the task force, explicitly admitting to external influence from the mayor's office in the process. Um, it is time to bring clear transparency and honesty back to city government to ensure um, the people feel that their voice matters. It is, of course, about them and not about the people in Jupiter power. Peraza, your time has lapsed. Thank you for your comments. There are no other speakers in the queue. Public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair Preston. I, I want to thank all the public comments today. I also want to thank uh, both Chair Preston and Supervisor Ronan for um, sponsoring this hearing and having us here today have, uh, for this very critical discussion. And thank you to our Police Commissioner Max um, Carverstone for his, um, Carter Alberstone for his courage uh, and to um, speak up uh, when uh, as a response to the accusation of being a liar um, on record by our mayor, which is very serious. All this brings to, I wanna put context for our public, why this is such a issue, uh, a critical issue that San Francisco uh, 
residents and voters should pay attention to. And here's the reason why. We know that our commissioners really are uh, decision makers, uh, uh, part of uh, decision makers uh, and part of decision making process in the city and county of San Francisco. Com our commissioners, uh, no matter uh, which body they're on, they actually range, uh, have a range of responsibility. Uh, that's including uh, decide decisions on city contracts, personnel decisions, and uh, as demonstrated, definitely critical policies that impact um, our city. Uh, I, I also want to put in context that why the mayor's approach to um, appointing her commissioners is also critical. I think it's a um, mindset of governance and mindsets for how uh, our mayor views um, this uh, how, how the view of democracy and the view on how uh, we should approach to city governance. Because uh, in just two last two short years, our mayor also has appointed many elected bodies. Uh, that's including our city attorney, uh, our district attorney, uh, a member of this board supervisor at district six supervisors and three members of the board educations and with appointments to elected office and commissions uh, it, it is why we want to question uh, the mayor's approach to appointment uh, to governing and so uh, my first question if I may you know for for Mr. Ausburn is that you know in the letter that provided on public record responding to um, Chair Preston's questioning and this is a very critical question is uh, why um, uh, were updated resignation letters required of these appointees and I think you have already you know really responded to it and you gave good examples uh, of why but the question that though in your answer in the answer of this letter not just about incapacitations and the, the derelictions of duties there's also a specific in, uh, uh, explanation say inappropriate behavior what does the mayor course you can't get into her head but as her chief of staff uh, as as a administration would deem as inappropriate behavior actions taken similar to that of Commissioner Mel Murphy on the Port Commission could you actually for those public that does not know what that is and, and what the situation a number of ethical is. violations and the Department of Building Inspection had to go after him there were a number of problems with his service uh, as a Port Commissioner Sorry, could you repeat that one more time? There were a number of issues with Commissioner Mel Murphy and the Department of Building Inspection in his private practice that led to a number of investigations on his work. But as we know by the city attorney's memo though, we know that there are four different ways that a commissioner can be removed. In fact, uh, one of them is for cause commissioners. And, and with that, um, it could just be removed um, and, and there are also at-will commissioners that can be removed. There's a process already in our charter or commissioners that convicted of certain felonies. Um, again, all these actually have been processed, put in place. Why, why does, the, again, the administration feel like the, uh, those existing removal process is not accurate or, or adequate? As I said earlier in response to Supervisor Preston, who asked the same question, 
that process. There are two examples that I think have happened in the last 40 years, Sheriff Mercurimi and then Commissioner Joe Mazzola on the Airport Commission. Both of those processes took approximately six to nine months. Both of those processes completely shut, well, I don't, can't speak to Commissioner Mazzola, because I don't personally remember that one, but when it was Sheriff Mercurimi, the Ethics Commission shut down all its other work and had to hire outside counsel, spend a significant amount of money, and take months interviewing and doing all of that, and then don't know if you were here as an aide, but when the Board of Supervisors had to have the trial, we had to hire outside counsel. It was an extremely burdensome, expensive process. And, and the mayor believed that this letter would be a way of short-circuiting that process in an efficient way. Well, actually, I disagree with that approach uh, because Sheriff McGarimi's uh, position is, after all, uh, you know, as an elected official, you know, to be removed because, uh, you know, against the, well, well, I should, no, I wouldn't say against the will of the voters, but after all, it was someone elected by the voters and it was the will of the voters that put someone like, you know, Sheriff McRimi in the position. And it is rightly so by the charter, really technically the San Francisco's constitution that we then, you know, have taken that process, but in your opinion, or in the mayor's opinion, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth as if somehow this is your opinion, because you have clearly said that this is truly just the mayor's intent, and it's her decision that you to decide to go with this practice. But it sounds to me, though, from what you just explained, that it is actually um, not worth the burden, not worth the the time nor the do, the public dollars to make sure that if we were to remove someone from elected office or even appointed office, to actually go through a charter process that with integrity, it is better that we as San Franciscans to trust the mayor and her decision alone instead of our charter. Yes. Thank you. And, and so then, again, um, I, I, I think that this is fundamentally the question that I have, you know, the approach to this. And I think the mayor has said this publicly, too. But if you could, you know, I, I think that she has said that in a uh, media, you know, um, event. But if you could uh, reiterate, perhaps, uh, is that what, again, then, I think the mayor has said that in, I think, I believe sometime last week in a media forum, ex stated her reasoning again, why she believes that she wants to exercise her authority to request the resignation letter. I'm sorry, Supervisor. Her I want intent. to make sure I'm understanding the question. You're asking me again why the mayor had this policy? Yeah. Okay, sure. Again, and maybe if I could, I'll use this as an opportunity to get to Supervisor Ronan's question or point about Angus McCarthy. Uh, and you may have seen me have a side conversation there with Commissioner Carter Oberstone. Um, I read his email of April 26th, is that right? Where he said, uh, based on the, con it was an email to, I believe, Ivy and to Tyra? Just Tyra. Uh, but in the email to Tyra, you mentioned your conversation with Ivy and Tyra. And in that conversation, he said, based, uh, and 
please stand up if I mischaracterize this, Commissioner. Based on what you said about Commissioner Angus McCarthy, I will sign this letter of resignation. Um, when I saw that email as part of this disclosure, uh, I immediately asked to talk to both Ivy and Tyra because Angus McCarthy was never part of the discussion for the rationale for these letters. Never. I want to be crystal clear on that. There was never any concern about Commissioner McCarthy's service as a member of the Department of Building Inspection. Mayor believes Commissioner McCarthy served with exemplary uh, service. It was always about Commissioner Mel Murphy. And so again, to answer your question, Supervisor, again, the rationale for these letters was for extreme ethical malfeasance similar to that committed by port, former Port Commissioner Mel Murphy. You know, she, I guess if I may, and perhaps you can confirm, I think that the mayor publicly stated last week that the, her intention to this is because she believed that she's responsible for the decisions of the commission and that the buck stopped with her. And therefore, she believes that it is, it is within her authority and it is a must the way that she approached governing to governing uh, the, the city that she has to have control over her commissioners and their decisions. I don't believe the mayor ever said she has to have control over her commissions. Did she say that? So, it, it, do you have that quote? Uh, I do. I do commit. What did uh, she uh, say, Vice Chair Chan? So, uh, KQED interview um, at, at, that I believe you're referencing, and it was um, uh, Scott Scott Schaefer, and uh, the mayor was asking uh, why they were asking about the the, the letters. <laughs> to which he, he responded, quote, well, because it implies that you want to have a level of control, and when their job is to oversee these departments and be independent, and the mayor responds, I do want to have a level of control. That's not even a question. I want to have a level of control. By that, right. I And then she goes on, she says, because I'm held accountable for it, I'm held responsible for it, name all the commissioners on the police commission, they weren't elected, and then the conversation goes through Scott laughed because he could not name all the members well, of the police commission. And that's true, Supervisor. So I, I'll take that quote. If the mayor said she wanted to have a level of control, sure. The mayor absolutely feels responsible for the work. Uh, that happens at all the commissions, and in the end, she is the one held most accountable for the work of all commissions, frankly, more than the Board of Supervisors. She is held accountable. The buck stops with her. And, and, and by that mentality of needing and wanting a level of control, what she decided, in your words earlier on uh, in, this, in this conversation, is that then that the decision is that her decision and her authority and her need for a level control over the commission um, is worth for this administration to go around the charter to make the decision of requesting letters of res resignation of our commissioners who make critical policy decisions, critical decisions on personnel, and critical decisions on city contract. But again, she made crystal clear only in the circumstances of ethical, mis, uh, ethical, ethical mistakes by commissioners. In no way was it ever to be used for policy purposes. Well, I think demonstrated by Commissioner you know, Carter Oberstone uh, as an example that there seems to be an impression, an impression, an impression that there is um, 
well, again, none of us could actually really probably understand uh, what is uh, serious consequences mean. Um, but but it sounds to me though a level of control also probably means uh, a policy decision. There are two things Commissioner Carter Robertstone said that I think need to be highlighted. One, he did say at no point did anybody in the mayor's office ever threaten the use of a letter of resignation. Correct? I heard well, you say that. Direct, well, well, why don't you, I, you heard that. Yeah, hang, sure. hang on one and second, two, Vice Chair Chen. Two, please direct thing, your, okay. Mr. Ellsman, direct your questions and comments to okay. the committee and not to other, other sure. uh, folks in the chamber. Thank he you. He did say that here well, a number of minutes ago. And secondly, he said he was only 80% sure of what Andre said. Let's not take that for fact. Well, I mean, I think that's, let's, I, again, I'm actually focusing on, because, because both you and Mr. Paulino during the board supervisors meeting have insisted that this is just the mayor's decision and she's the one who's making all these decisions and determining which commissioner should submit letter of resignation. Therefore, I'm focusing back on the mayor. Then why, why would the mayor accuse which is a very serious accusation, if you think about it, publicly at a press event, accusing her appointment, police commissioner Max Carter Oberstone, a liar. Explain that to us. That's definitely a question you'd have to ask the mayor. She's the one who said it. I don't know why she said it. Yeah, and, and, and so that's kind of actually what I'm back at, that the mayor deemed our police commissioner a liar and hints that the sort of this conversation sort of arrived from, or, or this expose of the practice, it's really derived from the mayor's decision in need of some level of control of our commissioners and when they have disagreement in this event uh, where the mayor calling our commissioner a liar because the commissioner or in this case commissioner specifically commissioner carter overstone did not agree to her point of view who ought to be the police commission president and so, thank you. I, I, I think that, unless you disagree. I didn't hear a question there, so no. There's no question. But, but I just wanted to give the opportunity that from what I just described as the mayor's intent, the mayor's decisions, and the mayor's comment on our police commissioner, if you want to disagree to any of that. No problem. Then thank you, um, Chair Preston. I think that my, my final comment is this. Uh, you know, I think that today is actually, I just want to thank Mr. Sean Osborne for being here on behalf of the administration. It is. It seems you have a very challenging job um, trying to figure this out. It, um, I, I guess last question though. Uh, I have uh, great respect for Mr. Osborne. Uh, uh, because not just who he is today as a chief of staff and managing a, you know, a, a city and county of San Francisco, assisting our mayor to uh, managing uh, managing the city and county of San Francisco, uh, Mr. Osborne also was a former elected as as our district seven supervisor, um, and so I think that you understand the function uh, and operation of city government really really well. And at any point. When, uh, when the mayor began her practice of requesting uh, 
uh, you know, resignation letter from our commission. You, you already knew, though, about our charter, about sort of the commission appointment process, and as well as the removal process. As for chief of staff, which you have mentioned before, that you constantly have robust conversation with the mayor on many fronts, including these policies uh, involving the topic today. At any point, have you ever flagged for the mayor, or just kind of advise her, or suggest to her, or remind her that if her intent is to make sure that she uh, could remove a commission there, here are the process. Have you ever remind her that these process exist? Again, Supervisor, as I said to Supervisor Preston earlier, I'm not gonna get into the specific conversations I've had with the mayor. We had robust discussions about all of the elements of this. Uh, are you aware that these process exist? I am familiar with the charter, yes, Supervisor. Very familiar with that, I would say. Okay, thank you, and and thank you. I, I think that uh, this helped my um, making, if I may, my, my conclude, <laughs> concluding statement uh, in this, and I really appreciate the time and the indulgence, colleague, allow me to make these, um, allow me to ask these questions. And, and again, I, I think that it is the approach to governing um, that, that is critical uh, to today's conversation and that in my opinion that uh, I, I think I have a very a great difference of opinion about approach uh, governing um, approaching governings and governing our city governments I think that we are better when we have diverse bodies when we have independent uh, commissioners who actually are constantly working uh, in the best interests of our city. And that go same goes to elected officials. Every elected official, their job should be thinking about, you know, and in serving our city and working in the best interests of our, our, our city. Um, not based on loyalty. And, and that even if in the face of disagreement, you ought to be able to say it, say it out loud, be it elected or be a commission. Um, and we ought to have transparent conversation about these difference of opinions because uh, it allows integrity and, and to have debate and so that we can vet our policies and be to have better policies. And that's not just about policies, but about city contract, who should be our next police chief or city department heads. All of these is critical to the integrity of our city governments and ultimately good and clean government. And I think that today what we witness is a, a, is, a, is an approach to government. And to think about that our mayor with this mentality, with this approach, and has, again, I want to reiterate, has appointed elected bodies like city attorney, district attorney, uh, a district six supervisor, and three members of the Board of Education. Let me just say that um, it's... It, uh, it's alarming, and to say the least. Thank you, Chair Preston. Thank you, Vice Chair Chan. Uh, Mr. Ellsworth, just a, a couple other quick questions. Um, the, in the responses, there was a statement that the mayor's office had never required um, letters of resignation from appointees to, to vacant elected positions. That was one of the other questions. Um, th so I understand that, that they were not required of folks, but I wanted to make sure we're not wordsmithing on this and find out if the mayor's office has ever requested 
any such undated resignation letter from any of any appointees uh, for uh, for non-commissioned uh, positions, including the elected, uh, generally elected but <laughs> appointed in the interim uh, positions of supervisor, assessor, uh, DA, city attorney, board of education. Board, what's that? Board, board of, of education. education. Thank you. Yes. Absolutely not. Not requested. Absolutely not. Okay. Thank you. Um, and then. Um, City College, too. Right, right. Thank you for that clarification. Um, and then, like, just one, one question here. The, is this practice utilized within the administration by anyone below the mayor? In other words, people who are hiring for city jobs or people who are um, you know, these commissions we're talking about, they, they hire the, the director of the department. They go through a process. Are you aware of any use of undated resignation letters in connection with any hiring within the administration? No, I am not aware. And would you agree that if a commission, for example, a commissioner demanded an undated resignation letter from a department head who they were hiring, that that would be improper? A single commissioner to demand that, yes, absolutely. And that, would you agree that that would likely be official misconduct for which that commissioner could be removed? I don't know about that. I'd leave that to the city attorney to determine what official misconduct is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's analogous here, right? You've got commissions that bring on and hire a department head, but that department head can't be removed unilaterally in most cases. It requires actually the mayor uh, and the commission. So it would be entirely inappropriate for a commissioner or a commission as a condition of bringing someone on as, as the, the director of that department to require an undated resignation letter because that would subvert removal pursuant to the charter, right? Would you agree with that? Supervisor, you use the word inappropriate. Uh, inappropriate, as I remember from having sit, sitting through hours of hearings about what official misconduct is, may not be official misconduct, and we need to rely on the city attorney to determine what official misconduct is. Okay. I mean, so let's not forget a convicted domestic violence person was not found for official misconduct. I think a lot of people would say that was inappropriate, but it was not official misconduct. Right, that went through the charter removal right. process, and as you say, uh, that, that, that's the proper place for that to be debated. I think, what I, I mean, you've been in these halls for a long time, as uh, Vice Chair Chan pointed out, uh, as a former supervisor, now as Chief of, of, of Staff. I think we could I at least agree that it would be extremely inappropriate for a commissioner to require a department head to submit an undated resignation letter, and it would be extremely inappropriate for anyone doing hiring in the city and county of San Francisco to require the person they're hiring to submit an undated resignation letter. Is that right? I believe the mayor would agree with that, yes, Supervisor. Okay, and here's the difference between the commissioner or the department head or the, or the manager who hires Every one of those other people, the charter would provide 
that an official misconduct proceeding could be commenced against them to bring before the board the question of whether that person should be removed from their position for that kind of abuse of power. The only person in the city who is not subject to that form of removal is the mayor under the charter. And hence our discussion today. Um, but I don't think it makes it any less inappropriate even if the remedies may, may differ. Um, Supervisor Ronan. Thank you, I, I don't have any more questions. I just wanted to make um, some final remarks if that's okay. I, yes, if I could make one more point, be, be, I have one sure. more question and then sure. we can turn to remarks. Um, Mr. Ellsworth, are, are you familiar with the use of undated letters of resignation in the city of, in Kansas City? No, Supervisor. Has that, has that come up? Has anyone ever pointed that out to, to you or in the administration that you know of? I have not had a chance to review what they do in Kansas City, Supervisor. Okay. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest, even though it's far from here, uh, that folks look at what happened in Kansas City as a, uh, as a cautionary tale. Because what happened there was starting in 2012, news broke that the mayor of Kansas City was requiring undated resignation letters from appointees. In response, it is almost word for word the response we've gotten from this administration. These were only to be used in the case of dereliction of duty, someone doesn't show up, and so forth. Fast forward to three years later in 2015, when an appointed commissioner on a tax increment financing board disapproved a development from a powerful developer, and the next morning, their undated resignation letter was filed. That is the cautionary tale and the concern. So I'm glad that we are moving forward and changing that practice, but I, I, I want to note this is not the first place that's happened. Uh, it, it, it is, that is the danger, right, of holding these and, and over folks' head and not having any explanation as to how decisions are really made as to whether they're going to be used or not. Uh, so I, I, will, I will turn it over to, to Reza Ryan. Thank, thank you for the indulgence for that additional uh, look at another jurisdiction. Absolutely, um, and thank you so much for, for calling for this hearing. I, I, I just wanted to end to, to explain why I believe this is an important conversation to be having um, in detail during this hearing today. Uh, we all know that, of course, it makes sense. Any appointing authority to anybody is going to choose someone that they think shares their orientation and opinions towards most policy issues. That, that goes without saying. You wouldn't point someone that, that often disagrees with you. Um, but the entire point of an independent resident oversight committees of city departments is that we get an, an, an outside and hopefully an unbiased, independent look on how we're doing and how the city is run and how business is conducted here. It's one thing for the mayor or for any elected official to express one's opinion to a commissioner about their stance on a, on a particular issue and, and making their case why that is their particular stance. 
it's an entirely other thing to pressure, threaten, or attack a commissioner for having a difference of opinion. And that's what's most worried me in this particular case and what's come out, you know, with these undated resignation letters. But not only that, you know, the, the, the public name calling uh, of, of Commissioner Carter Overstone, the, 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 the allegations or, or the threats that there will be serious consequences if the commissioner doesn't uh, support his, his own conscience. Uh, it's especially troubling because when you hear from Mr. Carter Overstone, you hear someone who's, who's, who's very substantive. <laughs> He's not, you know, uh, trying to oppose the mayor on these issues. He's looking whether it's the, the pretext stops um, and the very evidence-based uh, reasons behind his desire to push those policies forward, whether it was his decision uh, to appoint Cindy Elias as president of the commissioners, can articulate in, 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 in very detailed ways why he's making those decisions. It's very thoughtful, it's very thought out, um, and it's very based on evidence. And so sadly, um, we're getting a glimpse into how the mayor's office is treating its commissioners, and it honestly makes me very sad. Uh, it reminds me, in a way, of what's happening in the Supreme Court, where there, it has become so politicized, the body, that it, its legitimacy is in, in question. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't think we'd see anything even remotely analogous to that here in San Francisco, but I, this glimpse is, is making me nervous that that, that level of interference uh, and politi politicization of our commissioners is really defeating the entire purpose of, of th these um, independent bodies. And, and that's especially so with the police commission. I, the police commission is probably the most special commission we have in San Francisco because we have made, the voters made, a judgment that it is appropriate to have civilian oversight of a paramilitary organization within the city. And so to see this level of interference with, it, with a police commissioner is particularly troubling. And it begs the question, what else is going on behind the scenes that, that, that we're not seeing? Um, and then finally, I would just say that these commissions, they are a lot of work. They're a lot of work. They cost a lot of money. They take a, a ton of, of hours, not only from the commissioners, the volunteers' off, hours that the commissioners are giving, but for our directors, our staff of departments, our department heads. Um, this, it's a tremendous amount of energy, resources, et cetera, to run these bodies. And if they are essentially only to operate as a rubber stamp to the mayor's decisions and how she's directing departments, then what a waste. What a farce, what a waste, what a waste of money, what a waste of time, what a waste of energy. And then most importantly, what a waste of the goodwill of San Franciscans who are willing to give their time and their energy in this way. Um, so I have to say, you know, the, the, I'm glad that the mayors decide to discontinue the undated 
resignation letters. That was a bad idea from the get-go, uh, if not a legal idea from the get-go. But that's not the only thing that was revealed uh, when Mr. Carter Overstone came forward and uh, told, gave us a glimpse into the behind the scenes of how mayoral appointees are treated on these commissions. And uh, to me, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's problematic, it's disturbing, and it really throws into question uh, not only the legitimacy, but the entire point of having these commissions in the first place. So I hope we all learn something from this. Um, I hope other commissioners feel comfortable coming forward. Uh, if, if, if they're similarly pressured to do something against their own conscience and their own, uh, you know, policy, um, uh, belief in, in, in how policy should, should be decided. And uh, we will continue to be here to listen and provide oversight to the, the best we can. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan. Uh, I did want to add just some final remarks. I, I, I really want to thank my colleagues, uh, Vice Chair Chan and Supervisor Ronan, for um, making themselves available for this uh, specially set hearing today. Um, and also uh, both to, uh, to Mr. Ellsburn and, uh, and to Commissioner uh, Carter Overstone for taking the time to be here um, and share your thoughts with us and answer questions. Um, also wanna recognize and thank uh, Melissa Hernandez and, and Preston Kilgore, my legislative aides who uh, have been going through all of this uh, voluminous material and, and working with us to get ready for this uh, hearing today. Um, and the clerk's office. We, we ask a lot of the clerks and these special hearings are uh, hard to calendar and staff and we appreciate them, uh, their willingness to, 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 uh, and to facilitate this today. Um, I think that our letters of inquiry, which were extensive, and again, thank you for the responses, um, some of which are still pending. We have heard back from a lot of commissioners, but not all. Uh, we have gotten, uh, I believe, complete responses from the mayor's office. Um, but I, I think the information we've been getting, I think today's hearing, have made some things uh, clearer and it has been helpful. I want to emphasize, and my colleagues have said, I, you know, the, I hope we can all agree at this point, the practice of using undated resignation letters is inconsistent with our city's charter, as the city attorney has uh, opined, and really threatens the independence of commissioners. And that's regardless of how they're intended. Uh, that is the practical effect of having an undated resignation letter to hold over someone. Um, the, I think it's really outrageous this has been going on. I think that if the purposes were as stated, I don't know why this practice would have been a secret. I would hope that if there were a shortcoming of the charter removal process perceived by the mayor's office, that they would come to the board of supervisors and we would collaborate on uh, fixing the charter. I don't believe it needs to be fixed on this, but if that was the perception, uh, the way to deal with that in a uh, democratic society with rules is to uh, collaborate uh, across the branches of government to uh, to address any perceived uh, deficiencies in in uh, in removing folks um, rather than just breaking the rules. Um, I think it is an abuse of power to require undated resignation letters as a 
condition of appointment, um, and it shouldn't be occurring in city government. I, I want to be clear that, as I, I referenced before, had anyone other than the mayor done this, there would be calls for that person to be removed from office for official misconduct. And as Mr. Ellsburn pointed out, that the, the, whether or not those calls would, would be successful and someone would be removed is another question that would uh, come go through the charter process. Um, but, there, but there would be calls for, the, for that. It is, it is that serious of a concern. Uh, it's that bad, and I think there's no question uh, that of the severity of it. Um, but as noted, our charter doesn't contain a consequence for such misconduct by the executive. Uh, and so apart from legislation that we're working on to prevent the mayor and future mayors from engaging in, in this kind of uh, behavior, um, the path toward accountability in this case is, is not clear. Um, the explanations for the mayor's practice here are, and I'll be charitable and say they are inconsistent to, to say the least. I, I, and and the, depending on which statement you look at, which response, we get different explanations. I understand that Mr. Ellsburn, um, on behalf of the mayor's office, will emphasize the situation of the commissioner gone AWOL. Uh, I understand that that seems the most clear, probably the one most people can say, yes, that person should be uh, removed. But as Vice Chair Chan pointed out, the, the situations of, quote, inappropriate behavior, which is not defined anywhere as one of the reasons for these undated letters, really suggests that the mayor can use these or, or intended to have these in case uh, someone engaged in, quote, unquote, inappropriate behavior, however she determined that, rather than going through official misconduct proceedings in which more than just the mayor would get to weigh in on these questions. These parameters were never defined. Um, and, you know, days after providing responses to our letter of inquiry, saying that these letters were just for the most dire situations of inappropriate behavior, incapacitation, or dereliction of duties, days later, the mayor herself, in an interview with KQED, asked about the letters and why she solicited these letters, she, she said, admitted in, this, in, in that interview that she wanted to have a level of control over commissioners. I mean, at some point, you just need to believe folks when they, when they tell you what they're doing. And I think in, the, in that interview, uh, the mayor told us what she was doing and why she was maintaining these. And I think that's fully consistent with what's been reported uh, by Commissioner uh, Carter Overstone. That is exactly what the intent was here. Um, the, you know, sometimes the obvious answer is the correct one. And I just want to point that out. Like the obvious answer here is that these resignation letters were designed to exert control over commissioners. Because if they were designed for all the other scenarios we've heard about, if they were designed for the AWOL commissioner, or if they were designed for, you know, the person who gets convicted of a felony or something like that, they would have been required of every commissioner. It makes absolutely no sense why you would not, if those were the purposes, why the mayor would not have required those of every person and of every commissioner that she was appointing. Um, 
I want to thank and join my colleagues in thanking Police Commissioner Carter Overstone for, um, for his service and for bringing this to, to light. Fortunately for all of us, he was savvy enough to rescind his letter so that it could not be used uh, in the way that it appears to have been intended uh, after policy disagreements emerged. We are all fortunate that given his uh, legal training and thoughtfulness that he had the presence of mind to rescind that letter before it could be used uh, against him. Um, and uh, I, th I think I'm really troubled, I just remain troubled that we still do not have any guidance beyond saying it's the mayor's discretion on a case-by-case -case basis as to why some commissioners are entrusted to be in their commission seats and exercise their independent judgment, and others, the mayor feels that she needs to have a undated resignation letter hanging over them. So th this entire episode is deeply disappointing. I'm glad we're going to have some change. Um, we cannot expect people to have faith in government when the head of our local government is undermining the charter, manipulating independent commissioners, and putting our city at risk. I think it's textbook abuse of power and really interferes with commissioners exercising their independent judgment. And that's what they're there for. And that's why the charter is set up the way it is. And that's why you don't get to appoint someone and have unilateral power to remove them. And we would be outraged if we found out that someone who, say, you know, when Donald Trump was appointing a judge, that he also required an undated letter of resignation. Can you imagine the outrage if we learned that? This is no different. People are appointed and they're expected to serve with independence and as Supervisor Ronan has pointed out on the police commission specifically, the voters have said that they don't want unilateral removal by the mayor of her appointees to the police commission. They want commissioners to do exactly what Commissioner Carter Overstone is doing, which is get an appointment but bring their experience, their expertise, and their independent judgment to the commission when it's considering matters as important as who gets stopped by police, who gets arrested by police, and who gets incarcerated here in San Francisco. Um, so on a positive note, I'm, I'm glad that there seems to be some agreement that this isn't a proper practice, that the practice is, going, is coming to an end. Appreciate that the mayor's office has uh, rescinded these pending letters, um, and uh, I think uh, I, I will just say this was allowed to go on for an extended period of time. We don't know exactly how long, at least a year, maybe, or, well, sounds like multiple years. Um, and I think now more than ever, one message that we need to be sending to people in our city, um, and especially to commissioners and, uh, and others uh, and folks who work for the city is that we need to encourage and protect whistleblowers so that practices like this are exposed early. We shouldn't take to the airwaves to condemn them, to defame them. We should support commissioners and others who speak out about problematic practices in our city. Um, and uh, I hope that this hearing, that the letters of inquiry have been helpful in bringing uh, the extent of these practices to light and ensuring that this administration does better going forward. So I would like to um, continue this hearing to the call of the chair uh, as we get some additional answers uh, to the, the, the LOI 
that's pending uh, and uh, allow us to, uh, to bring the hearing back if needed. Um, so uh, without, unless there are further comments, uh, let's uh, go ahead and call the roll and motion to continue to the call of the chair. Thank you. Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are two ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Do we have any other items before the committee? There are no other items. Thank you very much. We are adjourned. <laughs>